on episode 17 of DevTalk, I speak to Brandon Minnick about using GraphQL to query your API. Welcome to episode 17 of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Brandon Minnick. Brandon is a developer advocate at Microsoft and previously, previously was a customer success engineer at Xamarin. Hello, Brandon. Hi, Kerry. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being my guest. We met last month uh, in Nuremberg, where we were both talking at the same conference on Xamarin. Yeah, that's right. And actually, the first time we met was way long ago. So I think it's been three years now. At, three years. Uh, yeah, at Xamarin Evolve. Right, yeah. That was the... the the beloved Xamarin conference. Um, we've talked about it on the show. And I happened to be sitting in the class you were teaching. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember uh, you had asked a question and something came up and we had the website open with the list of speakers. And that's when I saw your name on there. And I was like, what, what are you doing in this class? You're literally giving a talk at Xamarin Evolve. You don't need to be here to learn how to write apps in Xamarin, but was definitely glad you joined us. It is a big topic, and I I did learn actually quite a lot in that uh, that um, two days. So that was really fun, actually. That's great. Yeah, I learned a bunch too because I co-taught it with Jason DeBoover, uh, one of the ZamU uh, trainers, or mm -hmm. uh, he now works on the Microsoft Learn team. And yeah, just it's amazing what. Even when you think you are a senior engineer or an experienced developer, uh, just the things you don't don't know, you don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, it's always like that. <laughs> and it, it, the event, I, I the the best conference I ever visited. It was it was so much it, the the vibe there, the people there are so knowledgeable, and they all. Uh, like the technology you, you like and uh, people come up to me and say like oh aren't you and i'm like this has never happened to me <laughs> people know who i am and i don't know who they are so you're famous Gary. Quite, quite an experience yeah and uh, last month at this conference in nuremberg developer week it was called um you were you talking about the topic we were going to talk about today there I did. Yeah, I gave um, gave a couple sessions. So I did a uh, intro to Xamarin workshop. So that was a full day workshop. Mm -hmm. And we'll share the link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to uh, jump into it and try them out themselves. It's all open source on GitHub. Nice. And I also did uh, two talks, uh, one on just intro to Xamarin. So if you've never heard of Xamarin or if you are a C-sharp developer that was looking into getting into mobile app development, Xamarin's, Xamarin's your tool. So explain kind of the ins and outs of Xamarin, how it works. Mm -hmm. And then, right, the second talk I gave was all about GraphQL and specifically how you can use a GraphQL endpoint from your Xamarin application. Okay, I've I've heard a little bit about what GraphQL is. I have no experience whatsoever. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> yeah, so GraphQL is it's this exciting new API technology that is really just taking the developer world by storm. And something 
I found interesting is it's already being heavily used by JavaScript developers, particularly in, in the React developer space. But yeah, what it is, is it's a, it's a way to essentially condense all of your API endpoints down into one endpoint. And then instead of having a specific API that returns one thing or updates one thing, at, like we do in REST, mm -hmm. GraphQL shifts all of that over to the client side. So now the client can request anything it wants from this one endpoint. Or if the client wants to update something on the server side, it can update anything it wants via this one GraphQL API endpoint. Okay, sounds like you're you're passing in some statements and you've got an eval on the other side and it just does whatever it's passed in? Uh, that's, yeah, that's one way to think of it. I think the probably the simplest way to think of it is what if you could make a query? So similar to kind of like a SQL query, what if you could make that query to an API endpoint? Mm -hmm. And just like with SQL, we can say select star and get everything back from a table. Or we can say uh, just select first name and just return the first name value. That's That's the power that GraphQL gives the client side users. So for, for me as a mobile app developer, um, when I first heard about GraphQL about a year ago, I was, I was blown away by it because what it means is, well, A, I don't have to build a new REST API endpoint if I want to just change the response or add a new feature to my backend. I can just do that on the client side. And then on top of that, if, if there's an API endpoint or we'll say a REST API endpoint, that's just returning data we don't need. Maybe we just need to know that user's first name, but we have to hit the user endpoint and it returns back everything, like the ID number, and date of birth, mm -hmm. and last name, and address. All stuff we're just going to throw away on the client side. Well, right. that all had to come down to our mobile app, to our user's device, and it had to use their data plan. And the bigger the JSON response, well, the longer it's going to take. And so when I heard about GraphQL, I was like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need for mobile. It's going to allow me to optimize my, my JSON payload responses that come back so I don't have to use as much of the user's data. Mm -hmm. And because we can tell it exactly what we want, we also don't have to make multiple queries. So one of the problems with REST APIs is Typically, you have these cascading API requests. So we're saying maybe we have a user API, and we have to call that first to get maybe the user's ID. And then once we have the user ID, we can make another call to a different API about maybe it's friends. So we can find out who this user is friends with if we were, say, making a Facebook-like app. And that turned into two round trips just to get the data back we wanted. But with GraphQL, that's just one round trip. And that was actually one of the reasons why it was invented. It was actually invented by Facebook back in 2012 because they found that when their mobile app launched, it was making dozens, if not hundreds of API calls as soon as it launched because it would have to get your information. And then once it had your information and your user ID, then it could find out um, who your friends are. And then once it found out that, it could uh, query and find out the latest 
posts and status updates. And then you can just kind of see how this, just by launching the app, you have these cascading API requests. And when, when Facebook saw this and also saw the reviews from the users saying that, hey, this app is just chewing up my data plan. This app is causing my phone to run hot because it's just hitting the CPU constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, they took a step back and said, "What? there's got to be a better way, right? So they, they, created, they created GraphQL, uh, and that was back in 2012. So they have since open sourced it. They've turned over the technology to the GraphQL Foundation. So it's, it is really owned by the community now. And it's also, it supports just about every language. I mean, I've, I'm a .NET developer. And so it, it def, there's definitely GraphQL libraries for .NET, but I've also seen them out there for pretty much every other language from Rust to JavaScript. It's very, very interesting. I think it makes sense what you're saying, but I, I see this, um, it sounds a bit like we're, heading back in the direction where we came from you know like um when i started software development it was like okay you've got a you've got a database server and if you write your client then it'll send sql to that server and you you had like one one endpoint basically <laughs> it understood the the whole uh sql syntax and you just send whatever you want there and you get everything back and then when people started developing mobile apps, some people think, okay, well, I'm accustomed to this from the desktop world. I'll just query the SQL server directly. And then um, everybody says, oh, no, we, we don't do that anymore. Uh, we're going to put a web uh, server or, or like, let's see, uh, first it was like web services and then, then everybody went rest. Yep. We'll put that in front of the SQL server. Uh, so you can't do everything with the server just to, to make sure that, that, um, yeah, you, you separate the, the server from the client <laughs> or you, you abstract that away. And w- what happens if we, if we want to support different versions of the client or the, the database changes, wouldn't it be better if we just put web services in front of all of that? And this sounds like it's heading the opposite direction. <laughs> Yeah, so probably one thing to touch on first is you mentioned you know back in the day, and we don't do this anymore, and we don't recommend it to do, uh, anybody do it anymore. But yeah, back mm-hmm. in the day, it wasn't uncommon to just send a SQL query and basically query your SQL database directly from the client, even though that database lived on a server. And basically, all all uh, or like the, the top vulnerability in the web is still like SQL injection because people just take whatever is sent to the server and just pass it on <laughs> to their SQL server. And yeah, right. Very very dangerous. Everybody right. out there listening to this, don't do that. Um, and so and so when when I brought that up earlier, talking about GraphQL, mm-hmm. that's it's similar. So I like to give that as a way to think about GraphQL, but GraphQL still is an API. So it's still in front of whatever your data source is. When I when I say data source, like we mentioned a minute ago, it could be a SQL database, or if you already have a bunch of existing REST APIs, you can actually put a GraphQL API 
on top of those and your data sources could be those REST APIs. So okay. you don't necessarily lose any of that existing work. You can build on top of it and let previous versions of your More layers is better? <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, as, uh, as mobile app developers, one of our toughest pain points is getting the users to update. Like I still have users on versions that there's like 50 releases ago mm -hmm. and I have to take that into account whenever I push an update to my backend is like, well, will that break this person? Do I need to reversion the API? Do I still need to keep that old API version around anymore just for that one user? But anyways, so, <laughs> so right, we could put a GraphQL API on top of those REST APIs so that mm -hmm. the users that haven't yet updated can st still continue to use the existing REST APIs and then the ones that have they'll get a better optimized experience. So now their app's using less data, getting quicker response times. But right, so back to back to the SQL comparison. Right. Uh, so what GraphQL does, they created their own query language. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like a pain because you think, yeah, oh great, I have to learn this whole new language just to use GraphQL. Mm -hmm. It's actually a lot easier. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot easier than it sounds because there are tools like graphical uh, that lets you explore the GraphQL API in a browser. So it'll essentially help you create your query. Um, and then you can essentially copy paste that query. So you don't have to worry about memorizing the syntax or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. but GraphQL, it's still a API layer. And when you create your GraphQL endpoint, you actually tell it what data you want to expose. So you would create this, maybe maybe we have a user object and that user object has a field called first name, a field called last name, a field called birthday, a field called ID. And you define that when you're creating your GraphQL endpoint for your API. Only what you define is what that GraphQL endpoint will be able to return. So yes, we are essentially sending a query up to the API, mm -hmm. but that query can only see what we've exposed and can only return back the explicit fields. And I'm saying fields uh, and in .NET, we'd probably think of them as properties for the object, but, but GraphQL can only return exactly what we've defined. So there's, there's just no concerns about SQL ingestion. There isn't any SQL going over the wire. Uh, none of those concerns exist, but since it is a query language and one of the most popular query languages uh, we're familiar with as developers is SQL, it's kind of helpful to make that link. But it is still an API. It's still safe. The client side can only get the data that we've exposed. And then when, you, when you're building your GraphQL API, it's like we just said, you create all these objects. These are, what, these are the objects that the client can ask for. And then once you've created those objects, you create what are called resolvers that tells mm -hmm. the endpoint where to go get that data. So you can almost think of those as they're just pointing to the different data sources. So if we've, if we've defined this user object on our GraphQL API, then the resolver for that user object would probably be our user table in a database. And so that's where we would point the resolver. And so one of the other benefits, and there's, there's tons of benefits with GraphQL, um, is that if, if let's say our user object had to hit two different tables, it had to make two SQL queries to 
aggregate all the data and send it back. Okay. And that's if we wanted everything in that user object. Well, if we only wanted first name and that first name only lives in one table, GraphQL is also smart enough to know, I only need to make that one database query. So you do also get a benefit on the server side. So you're using less compute time. If you are using any cloud services, that's literally dollars back in your pocket that you can save from having a more efficient backend as well. But coming back to the, the SQL analogy, um, so you are really constructing a string like SQL or like hibernate, hi, hibernate query language. Is it really a string that, that is the query or is it like a, a complex object? It's a little bit of both. Um, okay. it's, so your, your string is your object. It's almost like, like in how in C-sharp when we, if we knew up a property, so, or if we knew up an object, so if we say mm -hmm. um, new user, we have the option of doing just the empty constructor if that object has an empty constructor. So open, close parentheses, done. Or we can say uh, new user and then do an open curly bracket and define and set some properties when we initialize that object. Mm -hmm. that, that latter syntax with the curly brackets is kind of what the GraphQL query syntax looks like. Uh, we would say, bring me back a user open curly bracket and define exactly what we want. So like first name, comma, last name, close curly bracket. And that's what, that's exactly the data we get back. Okay. So, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a little tough. I know to, to talk about conceptualize. So I'll, I'll add a link to the show notes. I, I recently did a talk at the Xamarin developer summit that was recorded. All right. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that same GraphQL talk that I gave at developer week in Nuremberg, was recorded at the Xamarin Developer Summit in Houston and highly recommend watching that. You can throw it on 2x speed. I think it's only 30 minutes long anyways, and you'll be able to see what that query language looks like and then also how to explore a GraphQL API to create that query, which like I said, sounds daunting, but once you, once you see it done, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's not too bad and it makes a lot of sense. Well, you mentioned there are clients in in these different languages, so it's not just a, like a string interface. It's a, you get a full API or a client API you're working with, and then construct your objects there and just send it off to the server, right? Yeah. Well, so yeah, the communication um, is actually using REST. So every every request you make to a, a GraphQL API is just a post request, like we exactly how we would do it in in REST. And so the, the only difference is in the body of that post request, there's just one, one field in our, in our JSON called query. And then that query is just a string. And the string is what we copy pasted. Well, the string is our GraphQL query. So, okay. So yeah, it is. The cool thing about that is if you've, if you know how to write code to make a post request in whatever language you're using, that's all uh, you need to essentially know to make a GraphQL request. You're just essentially saying you know, client.postasync and then adding in that, that GraphQL query. Oh, okay. So it's more like an Azure API maybe? Like they all have these REST endpoints you can 
speak to or or like uh, get things from a service bus uh, just by doing a rest call to an API? Yeah, like yeah, it's literally the same thing as a okay. as a rest call to an API. And I also just remembered I did a I attended a workshop uh, where it was where I built my first GraphQL endpoint. And I'll add a link to that in the in the notes as well in case anybody wants to explore kind of just a simple GraphQL API. And you can follow along to see you know, how you define all the objects in the fields, how you create those resolvers. And okay. in this case, I think this workshop just used a some, some hard-coded JSON and a file. So there's no... You don't have the extra complexity of pointing it to a SQL backend or anything like that, but you can follow along to see how these GraphQL APIs get created. Okay, nice. And so what does the server side look like? Um, you're talking about all these clients. Are there is there one implementation or are there different ones? So there's one popular SDK. It's literally called GraphQL-Net. And that's the most popular one. It's it's totally open source. Um, there there are a couple other ones I've seen that are also really good that remind me more of how we would do it in ASP.NET or ASP.NET Core with um, with attributes. And it's I saw an example someone showed me about a year ago at the GraphQL Summit conference that having made a an API controller in ASP.NET, I instantly recognized and could read the code uh, for the library that he built. Uh, unfortunately, that that one was a proprietary solution. They didn't open source it. I wish he will someday. But yeah, uh, GraphQL has a .NET implementation mm -hmm. and it is, it is very verbose. Um, you do have to call out everything like... Like I mentioned, you, you do have to define exactly what objects you want to expose and exactly what their fields are going to be. So it does get a little wordy. <laughs> uh, okay. Just trying to look for another word for verbose. Uh, there, there is a bit of, bit of uh, overhead there. And so um, I'm hoping the community will continue building and run with, running with it. I've, I've played around with my own uh, hacks at trying to improve it, but I always hit a, a roadblock because I'm just not that smart and don't know how to overcome certain things. But yeah, it, there's definitely a lot of, I think a lot of room for improvement that we can do to scale back on some, a lot of the code we need to write nowadays. But yeah, the current library, it's great. It works. Uh, it's just going to feel a little different than what we're used to with some of the attributes and that syntactical sugar that we're kind of used to we build a API controller or something like that in ASP.NET or .NET Core. Oh, okay, so so coming once again back to the SQL Server analogy, um, this uh, server-side implementation, this is not a complete server, I'm assuming, that has like uh, a database and columns and rows. This is just like the, the bridge to whatever you're building. Is that what it's like? Yeah, yeah. Think of it like just a REST API. So, okay. Uh, however, you would implement that. If yeah, you know, typically we would put that on its own server for I have the APIs running on one server or databases running on a different server, or mm -hmm. maybe just use the cloud and you don't even have to worry about any of that stuff. But yeah, it's it's just like a REST API. The only difference is there's only one endpoint, and 
instead of having to create a new API endpoint every time we want to shape the data differently, or we want to get different results back, or we want the API to do something different on the server side, we don't need to build a new endpoint every time because the client essentially has all that power now. So for my mobile app, I can say, I don't need to know the user's last name anymore, so I just won't ask for it. And then you move on. Okay. Um, so, and uh, as opposed to SQL, it's this is transported over HTTP and REST, so it is uh, safe to do that from a mobile applica application. Whereas if you're speaking directly, like with a Microsoft SQL server <laughs> right. from your phone, there are lots of connections where that won't work. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like you hit it, you hit it right on the head. It's it's just like when you're making a, a REST API call, um, uses HTTPS and TLS, all that all that stuff we're we're used to, we know and love. It's all there as well with GraphQL. Um, have you worked with OData? Yes, that's that's one of the most common questions I get. Okay. Whenever, yeah, inevitably, whenever I bring up GraphQL to .NET developers, there's typically a question about OData. If, if you haven't heard of OData before, it is essentially a, a filter for your REST APIs. So mm -hmm. with OData, if we had a REST API that returned a user object, but we only needed the first name, we could actually include as a parameter this filter that says, just give me the first name. So that is another huge benefit. And it's also very easy to add on to your REST API. So if, if you want to trim down the amount of data that is coming over the wire, so you're not burning up your user's data plan or their battery, highly recommend OData. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so, yeah, we've been using that for years in the .NET world. And typically the question comes up, well, we already we already got OData. Why do we need why do we need GraphQL? And the benefit that GraphQL gives you over OData, I'd say there's two. Um, earlier we mentioned how GraphQL is smart enough to know if it needs to make multiple database queries or not. So with GraphQL, if you only need to query one table, it will only query the one table and get that data back faster. With OData, everything that API normally does without that filter, it'll still do, but that filter is placed before the data leaves the server. So the in this example, that REST API that was using OData would still make two database queries, join all that data together, create that object, but before that object left the server, it gets filtered. So GraphQL allows you to optimize your backend a little bit over OData. And then the other benefit is just the fact with REST APIs, if we want to, maybe, maybe we have a new object, um, like a friends object that we want to be able to return. Well, with, with OData and REST, well, now our backend team has to create a new API endpoint called friends. And then once that's ready, then we can access that data from the client side. Well, with GraphQL, that, that object can just be added on to our API definition. And, or, if it's, or if it's already there, uh, the client can just access it. So we don't, the, 
I guess the that benefit is typically on the client side, we'll be able to iterate faster. We don't need to essentially we don't necessarily need to wait for our backend team to create new APIs or create a second version of a, a of an of an existing API because maybe um, user has a new a new property. So there you get some performance benefits there, but that's definitely it's definitely a great question, great concern. You know, it's something that once you've played around with both and seen the pros and cons, then it becomes a business decision. So do we want to rewrite everything and move it all over to GraphQL? Do we want to add GraphQL or create GraphQL and then have GraphQL point to our existing REST APIs for its resolvers? I don't know, there, there are those migration paths there, or maybe, you know, maybe it's an app that we're not working on anymore that we're just in maintenance mode and we just don't have the time or the resources to rip out all, all of this backend stuff and replace it. That's cool too. Um, but I know for me going forward as a, as a mobile app developer, I'm definitely pushing for greenfield projects to start using GraphQL and even for existing projects um, that have REST APIs instead of creating another REST API when we need something different saying, hey, why not just put a GraphQL endpoint out there? And then we can start slowly moving everything over to GraphQL. Does does make sense what you're saying. Uh, is, it, is this something that's also used for like public APIs that are offered or is this something people use for where, where they just build this for just for their app? And, and specific use? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely both. Like, for example, mm -hmm. GitHub's, GitHub's API is now all GraphQL. And I've, I've created a couple sample apps and we'll include those in the show notes as well, where mm -hmm. the, the app is interacting with GitHub's GraphQL API. So totally public. Uh, there's also um, authentication you can do. So You'll see that in this app, like it requires a, an auth header using OAuth to get your token and all that fun stuff. It's, it's all very similar technology that we know and love. But yeah, if, if you wanted to have a public GraphQL API and then maybe another one that's internal, you could do that as well. Or you can expose only certain fields to certain levels of authenticated users. So maybe the admins have access to every field. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're a customer, you only have access to some of those fields. Or if you're an employee, you have access to more than the customers, but maybe not as much, much as the admins have access to. So yeah, all that all that's available with, with GraphQL as well. I'm thinking it might even make more sense uh, or, or be even better fit for those pub public APIs where you don't know what the clients are going to be doing and uh, you, just a lot comes out of the box. You don't have to worry about um, building a specific API for everything um, or w w they, they don't have to contact you as much and, and ask for new APIs. <laughs> right, yeah, and then, exactly. And you know, one of the other nice things is if you're just adding more objects to your API, you could just add those because it's not going to affect any existing GraphQL query because 
the GraphQL queries have to specify exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. And as, as long as you're not removing any of those fields, then those GraphQL queries will continue to work. But you can add a new object. You can add some more relations. Maybe you're tie, tying IDs together to uh, be able to reference a friend, a list of friends from a user. You can, as long as it's additive, you can continue adding that. You don't even have to change or version your API, which is which is really great too. But yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it. And that's that to me is the biggest benefit of GraphQL is letting the letting the customer, the client, the developer that's using our API, let them figure out exactly the data they want back. And we'll just let them know what is available. Now, mm. yep. <laughs> I will say I, I had a really good conversation about this at Xamarin Developer Summit. A uh, uh, friend of mine came up after, after I gave my GraphQL talk and was asking, and he's like, the, you know, the way we think about our API is what do we want to expose? So um, kind of thinking, it, thinking of it in the current REST implementation, if, if we don't have a REST API endpoint, then that any other data that we have on the back end can't be retrieved or accessed by the customer. So kind of, kind of locking it down a bit. Yep. And uh, we had a really good conversation about you know, how, how would we do that with GraphQL and uh, you know, ultimately, I, I left our chat just kind of saying you got to think about it in the opposite manner. So it's just op you almost open up your API and say, hey, here's everything you can request from us or here's all of the, the changes uh, like updates, deletes, creates. Uh, GraphQL calls those mutations that you can do and then essentially allowing the user to have that unfettered access. So it's, it's definitely a different mindset and maybe, maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, Nilesh, the friend I had a conversation with this about this at Xamarin Developer Summit, maybe he wasn't, or his company wasn't the right target audience for this because they do mm -hmm. a lot of things that they need to restrict access to. And so that's also something to, to keep in mind when, when you're creating it, but but yeah, you can still, because you define that in GraphQL, you can still limit your users on what they have access to and apply different rules and authentication and that access, different access levels to change what you can and cannot request or what you can and cannot mutate. But yeah, it's, it's a, like I said, it's, it's exciting new technology. There's all these awesome questions. I love having these conversations about it because you know, REST has been around for so long and we're all so familiar with it that there's a blog post or there's an answer to just about anything. And in GraphQL, a lot of these things are still start just starting to bubble up and starting to be figured out and what is the best way to do it. And sometimes you just have to try it and iterate and, and learn and then post your own blog post. And you could be you could be that that GraphQL person mm -hmm. that people go to for questions. Um, but yeah, highly recommend it. Definitely recommend everybody checking it out. And we'll have links in the show notes to all of those, all those samples that you can jump into today and start playing around with. 
And, and I'm thinking if you're in that company that is so restrictive, and, and uh, the, but the network work admin is going to love you because he just has to open access to one URL. <laughs> that is true. You'll have, you'll have that one ally on your side immediately. Right. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. Um, you're going to send me a list of those uh, links. I'm going to put those in the show notes. Yeah, uh, that was really interesting. Um, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Carrie. If if anybody has any questions for me, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Uh, my handle is the Code Traveler, so T H E C O D E T R A V E L E R, uh, the Code Traveler. Uh, my direct messages are always open. Feel free to reach out uh, anytime, and happy to chat more about Xamarin or GraphQL or .NET things in general. Great. Um, I'll put a link to your Twitter account too on the uh, on the blog post, corresponding blog post to the like where the show notes are. Okay. So thanks again, and this has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll hear each other again in two weeks. Bye.